Hello everyone and welcome back to the Power Passion Podcast. I decided to release some content on white male rage trending on Twitter as I laugh and try and get that out. So Saturday Night Live have done a spoof on the Joker. Now this is a very good portrayal and Joaquin Phoenix has done a terrific job of the Joker. However, Saturday Night Live, through clear recorded laughter, have portrayed this on Twitter, and I'll leave the link below for everyone to form their own opinion and thoughts on the matter. Uh, So pretty much they had recorded applause, and um, it depicted scenes in which the Joker apparently represents... Uh, a problem, I suppose. Then again, this is uh, Saturday Night Live, so it is for comedic purposes also, but it does just comment on, I suppose, the way in which Saturday Night Live is trying to present their political leanings. Keep in mind, this podcast right here is purely for entertainment purposes only. This is not to say that I have the correct stance on it. However, it is a trending topic on Twitter, and I'm not particularly sure that it should be a trending topic on Twitter. So I did some internet sleuthing to see how the Joker movie, if it has or has not represented white male rage, which apparently is a huge problem in America. So the Wikipedia definition of angry white male is a pejorative expression for white males holding conservative views to reactionary views in the context of US politics, typically characterized by the oppression to liberal anti-discriminatory policies and beliefs. In particular, angry white males apparently stereotypically oppose some affirmative policies such as modern feminism. Now, I looked at this definition, I thought to myself, okay, that's fine and all, but modern feminism, very vague. Because there are four waves of feminism, and I am going to take a dive into some school of thought that I particularly don't agree with. However, I can only say this right now because I love my mother very dearly, and she is the only woman in my life, and I am married to my work, so it's all good. So any other guys uh, out there online, I'd suggest that you probably don't make any commentary on feminism like I'm about to right now. So first wave feminism was a period of feminist activity and thought that occurred during the 19th and early 20th century. And it focused on legal issues and the vote, something that everyone can get aboard with. That's fine, that's perfectly okay. Second wave feminism was a period of feminist activity and thought that began in the United States in the early 1960s and lasted roughly two decades. It was spread across Western world with the aim to increase equality for women and gaining more than just enfranchisement. So the main things that second wave feminism focuses on is sexuality, family, the workplace, reproductive rights, de facto inequalities, and official legal inequalities, which again is something that a person in 2020, if they're reasonable, can get behind. That's perfectly okay. And then it goes a little bit more down the feminist rabbit hole, so to speak, to third wave feminism. Third wave feminism is an iteration of the feminism movement that began in the 1990s in the United States and it continued the rise of fourth wave in the early the 10s 2010 so this focused on individualism 
diversity and redefining feminism. And this is the point in which a lot of women uh, in the Western world, typically speaking, kind of left the feminist movie because it... Movie? Well, it kind of is a movie now. It's kind of a bit of a meme. Um, but that takes us to the current state of feminism, which is fourth wave feminism, which I suppose is what it, the initial definition that I read earlier about angry white males was referring to. Let's just make that assumption. It's not a good thing to make any assumptions ever, but I suppose let's do it anyway. So fourth wave feminism is a phase of feminism that began around 2012. It characterized a focus of empowerment and the use of internet tools. And it also focuses on intersectionality. Now you might ask yourself, what is that? Because I personally have to remind myself of the definitions, the lingo, the slang that people are throwing around online, and it's very interesting. So, intersectionality is a theoretical framework which understands the aspects of one's social and political identities might combine and create unique modes of discrimination. Now, if you look at this, this is particularly in the United States, left-leaning, uh, it's collectivized thought. Uh, so you've got your feminists, you've got people that are, I suppose, support real uh, aggressive climate change activism that all seem to kind of cluster together, uh, which goes away from what I was speaking about earlier, which, which is hilarious, because third-wave feminism was about individualism. I don't know about you, but individualism, typically speaking, is on your own. It's not in the collective. But this really goes all the way back to what we were commenting on earlier. Now this is trending on Twitter and the Twitterverse is hilarious to be a part of and I must admit I've taken some time away from it because Twitter is completely a meme and the network in itself probably I suppose continues to grow because of this trending um, virality that it causes and Dorsey uh, had ambitions, if you look at some of Jack Dorsey's interviews, he had ambitions of being a New York mayor, which is hilarious because the Joker movie depicts 1981 New York. So let's go into a bit of analysis of this new Joker movie. Keep in mind, I personally am going to watch this movie after I film this podcast. I've looked at a lot of content and I've dug into the analysis that's already been done. But I am a huge fan of the Heath Ledger version of the Joker. It's a very um, interesting archetype. And because it's so broad, uh, actors from freaking 30 Seconds to Mars actor and 30 Seconds to Mars, 30 Seconds to Mars musician, whose name escapes me, you've got Heath Ledger in the mix. Um, and it's just like, it's an amazing character portray. Um, so, Jared Leto was the name. So, essentially, to summarise it, the Joker depicts a decaying Gotham in the ni- in 1981. And this also makes reference to this kind of pathological laughter that uh, Joaquin Phoenix pretty much portrays. And the whole movie is told from this first-person perspective of the Joker, and the viewers are left guessing whether it is either a complete fantasy or spoilers alert whether it happened at all like did it happen at all it's kind of shades of american psycho if you've watched that movie which came out of the 2000s so it's all representative of arthur's perspective and throughout this the movie uh it's clear that there are father figures like robert de niro who presents a stand-up comedy role and then also you have bruce wayne's father 
in the movie. Now, this just depicts in 2020 the lack of assertive, strong males for, I suppose, American white men. And it just goes to show that they're really good. The filmmakers are really good at tapping in to this clear, um, I suppose, thirst for some sort of male archetype or someone to look up to. And it's very interesting to see the way in which the Joker really represents this very nihilistic outlook that white conservatives in the United States, typically speaking, hold. And by the way, the commitment to the role was absolutely amazing. 22 kilograms Joaquin Phoenix lost for the role. Uh, that is method acting to the extreme. I, I would argue that I say that Joaquin Phoenix is Joker, and I haven't even watched it, but looking at the stuff that I've seen online, it is an apt comparison to put Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix next to each other. Jared Leto did an okay job, but I don't actually think he did as good a job as Joaquin Phoenix and Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger is still number one in my mind, but I am completely biased being an Australian, and it is Australia Day, so rest in peace, buddy. You did your nation completely proud. So the whole plot could be potentially a fantasy in Arthur's mind. And the Joker, the Joker, the Joker's past, right, in the comic books is leapt up to interpretation in that in a comic book that was um, made reference in some material that I saw online, it's multiple choice. So the Joker, literally his past, is a complete mystery. And that's what makes it so fascinating for artists and creatives to typically speaking uh, represent uh, what might be a quote-unquote clown. However, in actual life, in real life, uh, it's a tragedy that the what it should be a clown, a real funny, happy symbol of laughter, has been co-opted into this kind of nefarious, kind of shady uh, person that I suppose, typically speaking, can commit crimes. So... I don't know really where I stand on clowns, but they do give me the creeps a little bit, and I hope there's a few viewers and listeners that agree with me on that. I mean, hey, though, Joaquin Phoenix, I'd love to have some dinner with you, and you can wear the Joker get up, and that'd be cool. So, there are two scenes that I would like to make reference to. So, the Joker is depicted walking up the steps without his clown get-up. Joaquin Phoenix is walking up very miserable, and this represents his nihilistic outlook, which could descend someone into madness. And then also, there is a triumphant scene where he's in his full Joker get-up, dancing down the steps, and this is, he's spiralling with laughter going down the steps. And it's this very kind of creative picture of, are you, I suppose, with a grin going into your nihilistic existence, or are you, I suppose, just miserable and just being a drone through society? And it's very pertinent to recognize with the fact that a lot of people in the Western world who don't have, um, I suppose, certain privileges um, are left to their lonesome and they are seeking support, which is why a lot of people like YouTube content like Jordan Peterson, and you've also got your kind of red pill community and your kind of intellectual dark web community, Eric Weinstein, you've got your Joe Rogans, all that kind of stuff. And to be honest with you, uh, neither is the answer. The answer is pretty much making sure that 
we strengthen some sort of family unit considering millennials typically speaking are not getting married or they're preferring to just continue their young existence and not exactly shack up as early as previous generations and this kind of cohesive unit that the baby boomers held is kind of decaying a little bit and it's interesting to see how it'll turn out in the next kind of 20 or so years. There is also a romantic interest within the film that Arthur kind of takes into account but the scenes if you break it right down he never actually had this romantic encounter but Hawking Phoenix uh I suppose, imagines these days that he's having with this uh, people of colour actress who also played a role in Deadpool, from memory. So she did very well there. But it's it's interesting to see that this also comments, if you look really closely on it, on incel culture. You might ask yourself what incel is, and obviously for those viewers and listeners that already know, I don't know, tune out for 30 seconds. Incel stands for involuntary celibate. So these are the people that uh, are, I suppose, trying to engage with the opposite sex but not having any luck. I'm voluntary celibate, by the way. So the Joker continues, and... The comedy host is portrayed by Robert De Niro, and he's done very well in this role. And I must admit, to be honest with you, even without seeing the movie, all the clips that I've seen online, which I pretty much binge-watched in order to create this podcast, look absolutely enticing. And the reason why it appeals to me, if you might ask, is the fact that the Joker represents this identity, or more importantly, a raw malleable identity which can be shaped and molded and grown now obviously within the batman series it is a complete sociopath a lunatic and this is what is portrayed by hollywood but in real life a person can through habitual kind of focus introduce positive routines like weightlifting reading writing learning how to computer code in order to enhance their life and really get on the right tracks so i suppose the joker and uh, the portrayal by many hollywood actors shows what not to do so you can kind of go in the correct direction of how you might want to optimize your life there is also another scene where three wall street bros which obviously represent conservatism they represent absurd wealth in america they typically speaking, they were what they were doing. These three Wall Street guys were pretty much harassing a woman on the train. Now, this makes reference to the fact that wolf whistling in public, typically speaking, is frowned upon in 2020, and you can't do that. And obviously, anyone that's been out on a Friday or Saturday night knows that the person that's being an idiot going, hey, beautiful, is typically speaking just trying to gain their approval of their mates and not actually... You know, no, no, no guy ever has ever gone, hey, baby, beautiful, and actually thought that that was actually going to work out. I mean, even if there are, then, oh, God, cut it. But more importantly, this represents these three Wall Street bros, right, who see Arthur, who's just been sacked from his stand-up comedy role, and they decide to beat him up instead, right? But initially, what happens is they start singing a song to him. Now, the reason why they use the three Wall Street bros in the movie in order to depict this, I suppose, connection with conservative political beliefs and white males and their attachment to this kind of nihilistic outlook. And that's why 
they, I suppose, decided to pick on them because they saw something inside themselves, personally, that um, they either, one, wanted to pick on more than the female. So it's a very interesting scene, and the way in which the movie is depicted is really great because it's 1981 New York, America, and 2020 combined. And it's very interesting to see how, uh, I suppose, Hollywood um, filmmakers are literally using absurd uh, lengths in film and cinematography in order to get some sort of reaction because they know quite clearly that Generation um, X and Millennials alike have shorter attention spans. So they want to make sure that people stay engaged and really focus with uh, what is being said. And I'll end on this, because this is a comic book quote uh, that the Joker says, right? All it takes is one bad day to reduce the sanest man alive to lunacy. That's how far the world is from where I am. I just, um, just one bad day. So it's clear to see that I suppose if you're still operating on the false uh, notion that Einstein said that Insanity is doing the exact same thing again and again and expecting a different result. Uh, unfortunately, that's Einstein never said that, so I hate to put it to you. But more importantly, it's really fascinating to see how there are still some good movies out there. I actually fully endorse this new movie just because it is an artistic portrayal. It's an amazing... Um, work of cinematography and I'm so jazzed up and hyped myself up throughout this entire podcast that I in fact probably will have enough time to watch the movie and go to bed but I just want to comment on the fact that a lot of uh, Saturday Night Live skits have been quote unquote, just boring just very very boring I mean look I've got nothing against a person disliking a movie but at least make a funny kind of skit. I don't even know how this got trending on Twitter. There must be someone that, I suppose, knows Jack Dorsey, and Jack Dorsey might, I suppose, like uh, some sort of left-leaning, I suppose, political agenda that rails against conservatism. Because the fact that white male rage is trending on Twitter, 2020, jeez, God. And by the way, if you're a white guy, and you're a cisgender white male, be proud of it. But don't be loud, because it is 2020. Take care. Bye.